I mean, UFOs are a thing, not aliens. Yeah, there's often scientific explanations or... Yeah, like aliens. <laughs> uh, I love it when you come to a show with false opinions. True believers right here. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Fascinating Podcast, episode 229. I am Clay Morgan. And I'm J.R. Foresteros. And the rest of our party bunch may have been abducted this week, perhaps. By I mean, we hear that Kathy is on vacation and Matt is at the New York City Book Expo, but oh. who really knows? I was way off. Who really knows? So, J.R., yeah. um, what are you talking about? I have heard some excitement in your voice the last couple days because I don't think you understand the difference between, um, let's just say, reality and fiction. Well, Clay, I have no one, none other than the Washington Post on my side. What? Now. On your uh, side? On my side. The Washington Post has released an article this past week. Uh, we'll link to it in the show notes at thefascinatingpodcast.com that says UFOs exist and everyone needs to adjust to that fact. UFOs. Yes. And to the skepticism in your voice, uh, the article goes on to explain that UFOs obviously are short for unidentified flying objects. Right. And that doesn't automatically mean aliens. Uh, so, right. so the article, basically the, the point of the article is we have had numerous reports, uh, from all over the place, from all levels of, uh, respectability and reliability of people reporting unidentified flying objects. And basically we've never really taken them seriously because in most people's minds, UFO immediately jumps to aliens. And if you say we're going to research UFOs, people think you're hunting for little green men. And the article is basically saying, look, maybe or maybe not, like there could be extraterrestrials, but whether or not that's true, we can kind of put that discussion to the side. We need to figure out what these unidentified flying objects are. Like there are enough reports that are credible that they're worthy of our study. Well, there's certainly uh, aircraft that are claimed. Tell me how they're weather balloons. Flying. Huh? Tell me how they're weather balloons. Well, there was there's, some of that too. There's strange lighting effects. There's uh, research experiments that we're not supposed to know about. The Cold War was riddled with um, secretive aircraft flying about. I don't so think just, that's strange. Let's just put our cards on the table. Do you think aliens exist? Slash, second follow-up question. Do you think that they, if they exist, they're coming to Earth? Well, geez, why don't you just get right to the meat and potatoes of it all? Do I think aliens exist? Is that the first question? Yep. Aliens meaning extraterrestrials. Correct. Uh, intelligent, sentient life mm, there that it is. did not or that did not originate on Earth. Yeah, because I think there's bugs on Mars, right? Like for sure. Do I think those bugs can when finish you say a Sudoku bugs, do you puzzle? Mean insects, or do you mean like bacteria? I mean bacteria. Bacteria and probably insects. Surely there are space insects, right? 
I mean, not on Mars, but yeah. Sure. Probably. Well, uh, just just pick a different planet. Pick a different galaxy, a different solar. Surely uh, a divine all-powerful being who would create all of these universes or all of these galaxies would certainly have enough bandwidth to put a couple of flies or ants out there. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is what's uh this is sort of what's known as the Fermi paradox. Uh it's it's named after Fermi Enrico Fermi. Fermi, F E R M I, oh. named after Enrico Fermi. Oh yeah, him. Uh yeah, him, right? Uh he's a, he's a kind of a big deal in he's physics. He's the guy that invented the radio. Yes. And so he basically said there given the size of the universe, uh there ought to be like just tons of other intelligent civilizations. And so the big question is why, why haven't they contacted us? And, and, and so there, there have been numerous explanations over the years. Uh, but of course, plenty of people think that these things do exist and they're visiting us. Uh, so, and that's one of the possible explanations for, for UFOs. So I thought it'd be fun in this show since, you know, Matt and Kathy left us unattended. (laughs) to like just kind of do some thought experiments and ask that question like like what if there were aliens what would that mean for us and and maybe even more specifically why are so many of us fascinated with the possibility like we're like the fox molders of the world who say i want to believe right mm, yeah not, maybe not you but a lot of people it, it is it's really fascinating i okay so one if there are space bugs i'm i'm gonna be like really cool really cool but not like as long my, as they're not like in your seat, yeah. right? What if the last time the aliens came was the end of the dinosaurs? They threw the asteroid at us. Maybe, maybe it wasn't an asteroid. Maybe it was like a, I don't know, some some kind of Death Star. Don't, don't you remember like four episodes ago when we talked about the news article where they found the asteroid? They found the asteroid. Yeah. Look, all I'm saying is maybe the aliens have been here before we were. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that's a cool that's a cool thought. So, so first, I would love to know just from all of the science fiction that we have. Mm-hmm. Do you have like one or two favorite aliens? Alf. Really? Like that was a quick answer. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't love Alf? Thursday nights at eight in the 1980s. I mean. I wouldn't say Alf is my favorite alien ever, but pound for pound as like, cause I didn't care about ET when I was a kid. I got so much joy from Alf, even though he's not super relevant to my life these days. I mean, I remember popping in a VHS tape into a VCR, which was a mechanism we had back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we would clean with my mom, this doctor's office on Thursday nights. And it was like, Right around eight o'clock, so we had to come home and watch the the recording we had made of Alf, and uh, man, I got a kick out of that. Then they made a movie where Alf got amnesia, and wonderful, wonderful, wonderful little alien that made made me laugh a lot when I was a kid. Nice. How about uh, you? Well, I I asked a bunch of people on social media, and I got oh. a plethora of answers. A lot of Alfs. Uh, a few Alfs, actually. Yeah, two oh. or three Alfs, which is short, of course, for alien life form. That's right. Uh, Andrew Arp, who's a fellow Nazarene pastor, said Frank from Men in Black, Frank the Pug. Okay. Um, which he said that's because he owns a pug, and he's pretty sure them being extraterrestrial is the only explanation for how they could exist. Wasn't he also the um, 
the cop from uh, Law and Order? Vincent, what was that? Vincent Nofrio? Oh, I don't remember. You mean Kingpin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Michelle Reyes, who's been on the show recently oh, yeah. a couple of times, mm-hmm. uh, said that there's a show called People of Earth that has a Nordic alien. That's interesting. I've never Nordic heard show, but I what, yeah, Nordic alien. I mean, if it's Nordic, isn't that by definition terrestrial? Well, yeah, I think that it was just like a Nordic-looking alien, maybe. Oh, okay. Again, okay. haven't like seen Thor. the show. I mean, uh, yes, that's exactly. most people's favorite Nordic alien. It's exactly like Thor. Um, <laughs> Joseph George brought up a great one. He's a fellow Think Christian writer. Uh, he brought up The Thing from John Carpenter's The Thing, which oh. is a great alien. I mean, by great, of course, I mean horrifying. And, and I guess we should clarify, because you just made me think of the Adams Family. So yeah. monsters are different than aliens, of course. Monsters are terrestrial by definition unless you consider aliens a subset of monsters which you know i guess if you want to go call alpha monster that makes you a monster uh tons of people tons of people said spock yeah i i think spock as i was uh driving around today and dodging tornadoes in texas i was trying to think of my favorite aliens and i couldn't stop coming back to spock at number one i mean on so many levels, both first awareness of an alien in pop culture, most encounters with it in pop culture, and probably some of the best stories. My favorite stories around alien are, are probably all Spock for me personally. How about you? Well, yeah. So I wanted to read from Brianne Leeson, who runs Bologna Arts uh, here in Dallas and also used to run Keith's Comics or my Keith's Comics, not the one on your end of town. Uh, she said I, she said Spock and I asked why. And first of all, I have to say shameless pandering to us. She posted the, uh, one of the gifts of Spock saying fascinating. So uh, automatically a big win there. Fascinating. Uh, but she said, I think it's because he wasn't totally alien. He passes as totally Vulcan, but mm. he definitely has to contend with his human side. As a child from a mixed race family, I think I understood where he was coming from. I'm white as Elmer's glue, but I also have this Latinx family and culture I grew up in. His constant search for where he belonged was really identifiable, which I thought was a really cool connection. Yeah, that's true. I don't I don't think any alien character with uh, you know, either discovering its humanity or whatever had a clearer arc that was based on its humanity. So probably we all can relate to Spock in that way. Um, Had a couple of people, of course, say Yoda or Chewbacca. Oh my goodness. I didn't even think of star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Well, I'm going to slowly backing away. (laughs) Sorry. Entire world. Yeah. I guess that would have been a franchise that would be on the table for discussion. Uh, Our friend Tam Williams threw out Dick Solomon from third rock from the sun. Yeah, I was gonna wonder. I was gonna ask if you watched that show when it was on. It was really oh, yeah. popular. I I just didn't. I I wasn't mad at it because I love John Lithgow, but I just I never watched it. I maybe saw six episodes my whole life. Uh, we also had several uh, Morks and Marvin the Martians. So Mork, Spock, and Alf were the first three names that came to mind for me. Like if you just, I am surprised. Uh, so there's two more big ones. One I'm not surprised you didn't say. One I'm very surprised you did not say. Well, ET has to be in the conversation. ET ET got a lot of love, but I don't care. Uh, um, Optimus Prime and the Transformers was another oh. one because they're technically aliens. Interesting. Okay. Uh, but Eli Fink and several other people all said Superman. Oh yeah, soup, soup. What about oh. um, what about Wally? No one said Wally. Wally. He's not an alien. He's oh. a robot oh, yeah, made yeah, by yeah. humans. 
Uh, I also have to say, Colby Khan, a.k.a. your ex-girlfriend of Assassination Roller Derby fame, said the original Alien movie because the monster is openly female. That first movie was awesome. Uh, and there's strong females all over the place, especially Ripley and the Queen. So she said that. I was trying to think. because we So we got The Thing, which, you know, John Carpenter, but The Thing was around in the 50s, like The Blob, and there was so much sci-fi. If we go back before television and really modern cinema... Um, like 19th century and earlier, what what are the most famous alien stories? I I can't think of them, but I'm sure there's some classics, right? I don't know. I mean, the I think one of the earliest alien stories that I'm aware of was Orson Welles's, uh, well, H.G. Wells, and then later performed by Orson Welles, War of the Worlds. That's true. Yeah, and I guess Poe he wrote that sci-fi that one or like Poe kind of wrote some of the first sci-fi, so it really wasn't. I guess you can't really go back and and hear about visitors from another planet in in history, really. If I think, I'm trying to think through literature, famous stories. You know, it's it's interesting because uh, as someone who may or may not have read a lot about aliens as a kid and still does, uh, there are people who go back into the Bible and point at different things in the Bible and try to make those uh, UFO encounters the like Nephilim. one of the most famous. Yeah, one of the most famous ones is Elijah's encounter with the divine chariot and mm. uh, or sorry, Ezekiel's encounter with the divine chariot in Ezekiel chapter 1. Huh. Um and so they it's it's you know described as these flaming wheels and these big creatures and all this kind of stuff and people are like, "Oh, see that was aliens." And where I would push back on that is just say, "Well, no, like what Ezekiel was doing was drawing on like common mythological language like these these divine creatures and things like that and so if he was seeing something he was he was talking about it through through the lens of what anyone in his world would have understood like no one who heard about or read about his encounter would have thought it was with something um well it depends on how you define extraterrestrial in the bible right like they're in heaven but is does heaven count as extraterrestrial or is it all part of the like heaven and earth you know what i mean you know how humans throughout history always pondered the moon speculated about it um you know for thousands of years we have we have writings about like what is the moon you know and all that stuff yeah um and then certainly we've had 500 years 400 years of telescopes but all all of that stuff i can't think that they were pondering I, i'm i'm surely they were pondering if people lived on that bright star also well, right but, but keep in mind they didn't think that they were they didn't think that they were planets and stars they thought that they were lights in the sky okay right yeah, so it's not think, until yeah. it's not until like galileo and copernicus who were the first ones to insist that the earth isn't the center of the universe that even i think even thinking about the idea that we might not be alone in the cosmos because before that, literally everything revolved around us. And I think it took a decentering of ourselves in our cosmic imaginations before we could even begin to wonder if there's other life. What was the name of the cat from Captain Marvel? Uh, Goose. Yeah. I wonder if anybody's that's becoming someone's favorite alien. <laughs> no one said it yet. And my also, we, we also do have to give a shout out to uh, listener, John Adi. His is Worf. Oh, yeah. Worf's a good one. Okay, so I have an answer to your earlier question that I okay. didn't get back to. Um, do do I believe in aliens? And if so, do I think they're coming for us? Is that, was that- Or to vi- not coming for what You make it so dramatic. Maybe they just want to say hi. Right. That, that's my point. Like, I believe <laughs> that if there are sentient beings out there in the universe, that they were created. And I believe that the creator would 
instill curiosity in any created being. So I think, in in my view of creation, that yeah, there's always going to be a a curiosity that would compel one living being to uh, move towards others. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree with you. I think I think that it's it's a matter of when, when, not if. Um, you know, this is one of those things. I just I think it would be so cool. It would be so cool to interact with aliens. But but it does bring up like just a ton of really interesting problems. And one of the reasons I was so excited to talk with you about it is because some of those problems are framed around com- communication. Mm. Um, so uh, Orson Scott Card, have you read the Ender's Game series? I have not. I'm trying to think. It seems like years ago I did one of his books, but I think the most exposure I've had to him is probably the um, uh, the version of Ender's Game they did a few years ago. Yeah. that That's with the kid from Hugo, right? Yes. Yeah, I think I watched that. Yeah, that's that's about all I know about Card's work. So there are four um, four books, I think, in the Ender series. People can correct me if I'm wrong. And then there's a bunch of other related books. Okay. Anyway, in the second book, Speaker for the Dead, which is a tremendous science fiction novel, uh, he introduces a three, it's not really tiers, but three categories uh, of the kinds of people that we might at some point in the future interact with who will be alien to us. Mm. Uh, so we're just going to use his words um, and we may mispronounce them. So if you know the pronunciations, please feel free to add us and correct it. Um, so the first one is Framlings and these would be humans from other worlds. Framling, Framling. human from another humans from other world. Worlds. So let's say we establish a moon colony or a Martian colony and humans begin to populate that. Oh, so like total recall. Yeah, 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 right? And and the idea would be at at some point, let's say we establish a colony on Mars, for instance, like 200 years later, Mars is going to have its own culture, right? And and so when we interact with humans who come from Mars, Martians, they'll be different and we'll have different cultural assumptions. uh, We'll have different understandings of how the world works. We'll have different experiences of normal, like even things like gravity, right? Um, and whether or not your face melts off when you go outside. <laughs> yeah, um, quite a tan you can get on some of those other planets, I hear. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, so that's Framlings, right? And that's like, that's like they're human, um, but they're, they're like one, like culturally removed for us. And, and honestly, in a lot of ways, I would think that like this would be the most similar to like when you have a cross-cultural experience even on Earth, right? If I go to, a, to a, a, another part of the country or another another country altogether and experience a different culture, right? Um, that it would be like that. Okay. Question. Star Wars yeah. question. Yep. Do Luke and Leia, for example, can, like uh, Lando counts in this category, right? Well, see, that's the tricky part. Star uh, Wars a is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So they're technically, none of them are human. Probably. You know what I mean? Like Why? none of them are from earth. Wait, wait, so, wait, wait, wait. Are you only a human if you're from earth? It, yeah. Yes. I mean, in in this framework, right? Okay. Okay. So again, it's it's like just sort of an ignored. I mean, I, Star Wars fans who have probably read some books that Disney canceled when they bought it. Again, please feel free to correct us. But they just my understanding the is they just don't really talk about, or they just call 
humans in Star Wars human and they don't worry about the fact that they're not from Earth. And like it's fine that Luke is on Tatooine and and, you know, Leia grew up on Alderaan and most of the native peoples there look like humans, even though they are from different worlds. And it's just science is not Star Wars as strong. I don't want to offend any Star Wars listeners, as you well know. Obviously, that's a new thing we're starting (laughs) at this moment in this episode. Okay, so humans from other worlds, Framlings. Framlings. Okay, so the next group that Card delineates are Raymond or Ramen. It looks like Ramen to me, but that is the soup. So maybe Raymond. I've heard it both ways. And <laughs> these are these are these are what like ninety nine percent of aliens that we encounter in science fiction are. Really? So they're non humans, but we communicate with them as though they're humans. Oh, Alf. Yes, Alf, Spock, Mork, Chewbacca, and Anu. Yeah, yeah. Like even even Wait, um, the books. Well, yeah, because at the end of the day, he's basically a fuzzy human that speaks a different language, right? Huh. Okay. Okay. Like if that's what I mean. Where we commu- even I would say even the books that I was I, I keep talking about the Adrian Tchaikovsky books with this this in, intelligent spiders like these are still functionally ramen because at the end of the day they don't communicate the way humans do but once we learn to communicate with them there is enough overlapping humanity for lack of a better word that we can have meaningful engagement interaction we can understand each other's wants and needs well enough to compromise. And work together. So Starman with Jeff Bridges was probably yeah. my first memory of Jeff Bridges. I'm sure everybody out there has their first memory of Jeff Bridges. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that was. But again, I, I like racked my brain putting together this episode thinking of a lot of examples of aliens that were like tr- in this last category that are so truly alien that it's it's maybe not even possible to communicate with them. And that's just we don't have very many stories about them. I think. Rightly so, because there's not much of a story you can tell if you can't communicate, right? But this yeah. this last category is Varles or Varlisi, maybe. Uh, again, it's unclear pronunciation. And these are these are non-human aliens with whom communication just is not possible. Like they they're so truly alien that it's not even clear that they perceive reality the same way we do. That they even value things the same way that we do, let alone the same things that we value. Um, so, do you mean? verbal communication is not possible. No, any kind of communication. Okay, like, so E.T., is he is he Raymond or, or Varelsi? Who? E.T. Uh, Raymond. Okay. He's that second category. Because at the end of the day... Oh, that's right, he talks. Figure out, well, and we know what he wants, right? You know what E.T. wants. He wants to go home. I have, a, I have another follow-up question that's completely unrelated to anything else we've said. Um, Silver Surfer. Yep. Okay, then he's definitely in my top three. Okay, great. But he's an alien, and so... And he's Raymond. Yeah, okay, understood. Interesting framework. Even Galactus is Raymond. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so all throughout comics, you've got a ton of them. And again, that's because, like, honestly, I think I think we can't really tell stories of this this last category, this Varli- Varles or Varlisi or whatever, because... What kind of story is there if it's just like a weird thing that you're not even sure that it can communicate or that it would communicate anything? There are some pretty famous stories with this kind of creature in it. What comes to mind for you? Critters. But the critters communicate. We know what they want. They actually even subtitle critters. 
Mm. I'm trying to think of those movies where there's like a little adorable ball. Oh, trib- uh, tri- Tribbles. The Trouble with Tribbles. <laughs> yeah, so that's, an, that's, a good, that's a good example, right? Like, it's unclear whether the Tribbles are sentient or not, right? Yeah, they. I, th- I can't remember if they if they react to like fire or something. If they feel if, if Bones is running some tests on them, some of our astute Star Trek listeners can probably <laughs> remind us. Um, another example: if you uh, there's a science fiction author named Alistair Reynolds who has uh, a hard sci-fi universe that he's created, and in that universe there are these creatures called that the humans call pattern jugglers, and they're somewhat like giant jellyfish that live in this on this planet that's largely ocean and when humans swim with them the these creatures interact with human brains and do like interesting things to human consciousness but humans have not been able to determine whether or not this is something that the creatures are doing like actively and attentively or if it's just sort of like breathing and they can't figure out if these things think or not Hmm. because they're just they're super alien and so they're there and they know what happens. Like if, if humans do a B and C, then the pattern jugglers are going to do D E and F, but they don't know if that's like sort of in the same way that if you kick over an anthill, ants will swarm around, but that doesn't mean you're communicating with them. Right. Yeah. There can be, or, yeah. Or if maybe these things are trying to communicate and we just can't communicate with each other because they're too alien. Like that's, that's what I mean. Right. Like where it's like, and same thing with triples. Like, okay, yeah, you can hurt them and they react, but like, are they thinking? Is or there not? cognition or right? And again, maybe they're just so alien that cognition isn't even recognizably what we do. Or like all the animals on the earth that communicate intricately with each other, and we never yes. are involved in that. Could be the same with an alien, right? Or, or multiple alien yeah. species, right? Maybe they communicate and maybe it's just in a way that we don't have access to because we're so different from them. Again, alien in the most literal sense of the word. So we did a show once on aliens and we were contemplating, would they have souls, right? Yeah. So it's an interesting thing because throughout history, people try to make sense of like what the soul is. And, and a lot of people, like the Greeks, right? They try to wonder where the soul was based or something like that. And like mm-hmm. one of the, yeah, can you point to it? Can you dissect is it? Is it in the mind, right? And, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So there's a, there's a good tie-in here if anybody's really interested in this topic. That was a really popular show we did a while back. Yeah, and it's one I keep coming back to because people ask that question like, well, if we found aliens, what would that do to our theology? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you go back to that, I think I think we – all were pretty much on the same page where we said, well, you know, if we believe that Jesus redeemed all flesh, then, you know, it's it's probably yeah. but again, somehow, again, it would be weird, but it would be covered. And, and again, a lot of aliens aren't even flesh, right? There, there, right. there are lights and looming orbs and different things that in, uh, in some science fiction, they are speaking. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so this is why, uh, again, I keep saying this, but this is why I was really interested to, to ask you about this stuff, because I think, I mean, as, as much as it's fun to ask the what if questions, I think it's more interesting to ask why we like to tell these stories. You know, mm-hmm. um, I think alien stories are useful to us because they help us kind of think through how we communicate with people that we find incomprehensible. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I'm, I'm wondering, like for you as a communications expert, like 
how often have you had to like coach people or engage people who have someone in their life that they just like, they can't even figure out where to start communicating with them? I mean, almost daily, literally today, because I coach, I coach a number of um, individuals and, and especially managers. And, um, you know, they're trying to influence others. They're trying to, they're trying to communicate to the people they manage. They're trying to work with their peers and trying to manage up. Um, and it all comes down to that. Literally, someone called me today and said, how do I influence? I've got some people's attention. They feel like I'm a little abrasive. Now, how do I, you know, how do I communicate that I'm trying to fix something for the organization and not, you know, I'm trying to build bridges, not fires. And uh, that's that's every day, you know. So what are what have you found are some of the biggest barriers when people people who have hit that block, like what are some of the big things that cause that block? Because obviously it's not that they evolved in a different ecosystem and don't right. speak the same language, right? Like, Yeah, like, you know, I laugh about Mars attacks and those kind of films where it's impossible <laughs> to communicate with the alien, but we could just look right in our neighborhood to see how hard it is even when we, we understand the race and species we're dealing with. But, I mean, first off is so many people just never never are willing to try to communicate because of fear. Um, either it's it, not just because it's a conflict and they're afraid of conflict, but a lot of people are just afraid to engage. They're, um, they're worried they're going to make a mistake. And even if we're not perfectionists, I know in my case and a lot of people, you know, it's like, well, what if there's miscommunication? What if I don't communicate clearly? And, and one of the first things I try to comfort people with is um, you will fail. <laughs> like when humans communicate with each other, there will be mistakes and miscommunication. It's just impossible to get it right because we're not perfect. And okay, I'm springing this on. Okay, you. go ahead. But do you remember the episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation with the Tamarin aliens? I can't. And I don't do TNG, man. Do you, Shaka when the walls fell. Shaka Khan. Shaka. Shaka. Khan. No. Okay, you've got to watch this episode, Clay, especially as a communications. Picture. I would love to, but I can't. Like you, you could have you could have hit me with a lot of different Star Trek original series episodes, but I can't do TNG unless it's a movie. Why? I just I never watched TNG. But you know the character. Like you could watch an episode. Of oh no no I know I mean I can't. If you say have you seen the episode, I can't. Oh I, I see. What I you're can't saying, follow yeah. you on that. Well, you've got to. Okay, so never mind. I would love uh, to watch this episode. I'm. I will go right now. Um, <laughs> And figure out which exact episode it is, but and I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to say too much about it because the discovery of the episode is really brilliant. But um, yeah, I just got to say, Darmok, Rhea, and Jiri at Lungha. I feel like Shaka I feel like John Audi and some of our uh, some of our listeners out there are like Clay, you loser, and Jr. Nice reference. Uzani, his army with fists open. That just sounds like Game of Thrones. No, okay, so it's an, it, the premise of the episode is that the Universal Translator is working fine, but they still can't understand what the aliens are saying. Like they're speaking in English. They're not speaking in English, right? But the translator, the translator is translating all of the words, uh-huh. but they still can't communicate. So, so, so it's not a language barrier. Is it a cultural barrier? Well, I don't want to say too much, okay. but the episode is called Darmok, 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it is season five, episode two. So if you're in Netflix or Amazon or wherever you, you want to stream Next Generation, season five, episode two. It is very much a Picard heavy episode. Like he's the main driver. Um, man, it's great. It's okay. a great, great episode on what it means to communicate. And a lot of what you're talking about, where there's a lot of like fear uh, that happens there and a lot of, a lot of trying to figure out. How do I try to understand what this is? So, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean no, to interrupt No, that's you. great because that's exactly right. Before we talk, I could give you, you know, five or six communication obstacles, but how many times are, are we hesitant to even engage in communication because, like, what if I get it wrong? And if we can't get it right with, like, people that we know really well, we're not going to get it right with aliens or anybody else, you know? Um, you know, a couple, of week, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago at um, – at church, uh, one of our preaching team, Debbie Reese, preached a sermon about unconditional positive regard, and that uh, sh- the way she talked about it was she said this is a this is like a commitment that we make before we enter into a communicative relationship where we assume that the other person is trying their best. I love that. I was with a CEO in Pennsylvania earlier this year, and um, he was a new leader in a major global organization, and he was bringing together a brand new leadership team, half of whom had not been on the uh, the C-suite the year before. And the, okay. there was a lot of cultural overlap. There were people from different nations um, on this team. And he made some opening remarks and he said, um, understand that I'm not always, I'm an introvert and I'm not always, you know, going to um, immediately respond and, and and address things as you may wish. But when you have a doubt about something I've said or not said, I, I ask in this first year that you will always assume positive intent. And that was such a great, clear expectation setting that he, he said, you know, give me grace, but also you, you know, know that my intention is probably more positive than what you think. And that's such a great way to relate to others. Well, and, and again, Debbie's point was like, it, it's a choice that we make before the communication event mm-hmm. right exactly do i do i believe that we're on the same team and wanting the same things or do i think that you're out to get me uh or that you don't care about me right yeah um and there's no way for me to know what's in your head and vice versa until we communicate that's the goal of communicating but i can choose to enter into that communication moment defensive or open and what you're talking about also is the communication climate so okay. um, I love I love framing it with this idea because so you got the church picnic coming up what in a few days right yeah okay if you knew that there were going to be tornadoes potentially and horrible storms and severe hail um, would you just go on with your church picnic planning like any other day certainly not of course not and yet how many times in conversations do we see the the vicious waves lashing the <laughs> the shore right of the of the situation we want to have a sensitive conversation in and uh, we just go ahead and have the conversation anyway you have to be aware of the climate and you have to prepare for it and sometimes that means not engaging in a certain moment um because you know if the weather's really bad that that whole communication interaction is likely to fail and it's not just about how good of a communicator you are or how receptive the other person is. Environment, atmosphere matters. 
So, so what are what are some of the big keys there that you would say like here here are some big things to watch out for in the communication environment? Well, um, one, I do think that the the actual physical environment is key. Um, I, I'm always sensitive to when I get into a room first to try to not position myself confrontationally. Like I don't, if I'm going into a sensitive conversation, I try not to make it so that the only option for the other person is that they end up sitting like right across from me or, or if I'm, if I'm talking in a, in a room full of people where there's some, some anxiety that like, I don't, I don't want to pit them, you know, on one side of each other with me in the middle as a referee. Um, so physically like try to position yourself in a way especially like for men, right? Men, men do better shoulder to shoulder. <laughs> it's like get, get involved, you know, f- working on something or, or whatever, but physically you can actually look at the situation and also really setting clear expectations. It's, it's very good to not just spring uh, a tough conversation on someone, you know, don't just knock on the door at 445 and say, Hey, <laughs> this is really bothering me. You know, you should you should give a little advance notice that, and be fair to that person and say, hey, mm-hmm. I, there's something I really need to talk to you about. And it's uncomfortable because immediately like our adrenaline, our lizard brain starts kicking up, you know, but it's, yep. it's way better to give that preemptive, um, hey, there's something that's been on my mind. I'd really like to speak with you. And if that's not how you normally approach that person, they'll know, okay, I need to, I need to set aside some attention or I need to. I need to make sure that we're ready for this conversation, you know, whatever the case may be. So those are a couple of things that go a long way towards um, helping communication in, in a difficult situation. But man, yeah. I found that's totally true because I'm a verbal processor. Like I'm the person Ditto. that would rather just like talk it out and figure it out. And I found that that can come across as really bullying or confrontational with folks who need time and are more internal processors. Have you ever been you know, in a crucial conversation and your cell phone cuts out? Like, uh, I don't think so, thankfully, because that would just be terrible. It, it is, it is, it is horrible. And so, you know, um, social scientists talk about noise, and there's there's a lot of physical noise, right? So, obviously, to be in a loud environment, trying to have a sensitive conversation is frustrating. To be in a restaurant where it's super noisy. And the, and the server is coming by repeatedly and, you know, there's a potential for tears or some kind of emotion. Like, you know, you, you don't want to go into physical noise, but there's also a lot of emotional noise. And emotional noise, it could be a lot of different things from um, past experiences that have, you know, shaped the way we hear from different people to um, our mood, you know, whether we're feeling under the weather, whether we're exhausted and fatigued. So there's a lot of different kind of noise that's um, that's observable and unobservable, and just being aware of all those things, uh, it's it's really about it comes down to empathy, right? Are you thinking from the perspective of the person you're trying to communicate? And and again, like Mars Attacks is a real funny example of this um, with aliens in reality, but yeah, communication climate, understanding the other person's perspective setting expectations and giving fair warning if there is something that's about to come up that's sensitive. Um, it, it's the golden rule, right? It's just do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's, yeah. that goes a long way in communication. Well, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the film Arrival at this point. As as you were talking about all of that, you know, like uh, trying to engage with 
trust instead of suspicion and trying to create the optimal climate. I, that's all wrapped up in that film in, I think, some really creative ways. And it's based on a short story, but I wish Kathy had been able to make it because on her vacation, she took Ted Chang's first book, uh, which has that short story in it. And it's just so it's, I think, even better. So can you um, believe I've still not seen it? No, especially being a communications expert now. Now you have two assignments I know, I know. Okay. that will enrich your professional life. You can write them off as professional expenses. I'm making a note, and listeners out there, if you got to do homework with me, let me know what you thought of the episode of this movie. <laughs> I've got apparently a week to catch up. Yeah, so we'd honestly love to hear, I think, what some of your favorite stories are about learning to communicate better, whether they're sci-fi or not. I think a lot of them are sci-fi because, again, I think the alien is such a potent metaphor for that um, because you get all of that fear and strangeness and anxiety about the other all kind of right at the surface. Um, But obviously there's tons of other examples in other uh, genres and media as well. So we'd love to hear uh, what some of your favorite stories about how you communicate effectively are. but uh, yeah, any other final thoughts, Clay? For this, just just one, and I'm actually remind uh, reminded of when we chatted with George R. R. Martin, and he was talking about the show in production with HBO at the time. Uh, I think it was called Captain Cosmos or something like that. Yep. And you know he he was basically saying the idea of science fiction has always lent itself to giving us that window, you, you alluded to this earlier, of helping us to understand different cultures. Because at the end of the day, it, whether it's, you know, ALF or um, Spock or any kind of other alien, it is a cross-cultural communication. That's right. And um, there's something accessible about sensitive issues, in, in particular, you know, in the last 50 years, like race issues, um, that these stories allow us to develop some empathy and it may be a subversive way, um, but at the same time, it 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 really is. Uh, a lot of the good stories are really teaching us how to effectively do cross cultural communication, and that is something more relevant in our ever shrinking you know globe in 2019 than before. Yeah, that's that's, that's absolutely right. Um, that's why I kept pushing those uh, Tchaikovsky Spider books because I think they're just. Wait, Tchaikovsky wrote those? Yeah, same guy. What? Back in the 1800s, Who he was like, knew? let me tell you about spiders in space. Okay, so there was a, a 200-year-old. No. Sci- oh, no. Adrian Tchaikovsky. Oh. <laughs> I don't again, even know if they're related. Off. <laughs> Adrian is British, so maybe he's a distant descendant. Uh, not a very common last I think Tchaikovsky, so. uh, he was a barista. He made some famous... Uh, he actually invented chai. Chai, chai spice. That's latte. why it's called Tchaikovsky lattes. <laughs> right. Okay. That's really cool. Uh, Well, before we go, Clay, I'd love to know what's fascinating you this week. Okay. Did you listen to the podcast Serial? Of course I did. Uh, It captivated uh, you, me, Aaron, who... uh, Aaron's the one that recommended it Aaron turned us on to it. And you know it was downloaded 175 million times. It changed the landscape. It was... That's That's almost as many as our last episode on Game of Thrones with Andre Henry. That's right. That's right. It was the uh, whatever the whatever you call an event that is like sends a a medium to the next level. It it did that for podcasting, and HBO has released a docu series, documentary, a four part series called "The Case Against Adnan Saeed." Adnan, of course, is the individual. If you've listened to Serial, who is in jail 
for the murder of Hay. And since that podcast became such a phenomenon, it literally impacted um, the, uh, I guess, the case, the ongoing possibilities for further jurisprudence and uh, looking freshly at the case. And um, Jen and I were going to watch this for a couple weeks, and, and we didn't put it on because, you know, we were just waiting. And I did not expect it to be as good as it was, as interesting as it was, nor um, did I know all the events that have happened since the podcast. With the visual element, it's really powerful. You hear from a lot of individuals in new ways, and... Um, it's it's just really really fascinating. Um, they keep an emphasis on the fact that a young woman lost her life, and that um, and that uh, a young man now you know he's about forty years old almost uh, has been in jail for twenty years, and it is incredible when you look at the work they did to put this together, including the the new investigation. Way, way, way more information than the uh, podcast had. It doesn't include the podcast host, Deborah Kane- Koenig. Um, so I highly recommend this one, especially if you it listen to It does or it does not? It's, it's not her. It's not like she did a, a video documentary now. Um, is she even involved at all? No, like, you, you might hear anything? a couple clips of the show of her. Oh, voice. okay, okay. But it, it is interesting. It's really different than I expected, and it's really powerful. Uh, and ultimately, it's tragic. And um, you learn a lot about the families, but you learn a lot about cross-cultural communication, too, because this is a Muslim man and a Korean victim. And uh, the Baltimore um, legal system and and law enforcement situation that um, deserves a good bit of scrutiny and is well documented as as to what that means. You know, very fair, very fairly presented Everybody gets to speak. So I highly recommend it. Uh, that's fantastic. Uh, so mine is uh, uh, some, somewhat along the lines of, of our episode as well. It's an audiobook I just finished called Deep Past by Eugene Linden. Um, it's not the best book I ever read. I gave it, I think, a four out of five when I rated it, uh, when, you know, when I finished it in Audible. Uh, it's, it's definitely got some problems, but overall it was interesting because the premise of the book is that a a global mining conglomerate that is mining in Kazakhstan uncovers uh, like a possible paleontological site, hmm. and so they bring in uh, they bring in a an American paleontologist, and she pretty quickly begins to suspect that what they have found could be evidence of a intelligent pre-human civilization on Earth. To a dinosaur hunter. Kind of. Finding potential. Yeah, so it would basically be like, what if what if you found evidence that maybe intelligence had evolved on Earth before humans and had gone extinct? This is my right? theory from the beginning of the show. Okay, but hang on. <laughs> so that question is interesting, and it's pursued at length in the book. But most of the book is actually more of like a geopolitical thriller that teases out the problem of what what happens to archaeology and paleontology in some of these unstable regions and how like US and Russian political interests combine and then also basically like what if you find something that breaks science as we know it mm-hmm. like how do you 
Because it's not just enough to publish it, right? Because then you get relegated. Like they keep saying, if we don't do this right, we get rele- relegated to like the late night internet sites. Yeah. Right? Uh, so so it's it's actually a really, it's a really fun kind of look at like if we found something earth shattering like that, uh, what would it actually take to bring it to light? Um, and it's really, I don't know. It was, it was a fun book. I like those kind of big high concept, uh, pieces, but this felt actually also pretty grounded because again, a lot of it was about the archeologists and the mining company and who owned what shares and the different academics who were involved at the various universities sponsoring the digs and you know, all that, like it was, it was, it was a lot of that kind of stuff too. So did you say this is your first book you've read by this guy? Yes, I have not read anything else by Eugene Linden. So, but it was good. Like I said, I really enjoyed the book. It was a it was a a, a well performed audio book, uh, easy breezy read. You know, something I could listen to while I was running errands and driving around and washing dishes and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, Deep Pass by Eugene Linden, highly recommended. Very good, very good. Well, what do you have going on this week, Jr.? Any new think pieces or such coming out? Uh, nothing, nothing really other than, again, my, uh, Think Christian episode about, uh, Hail Satan will be up soon. And then also I have the Aquaman piece up that just got real weird and nerdy about ancient Hebrew creation mythology and Babylonian creation mythology and how Aquaman played into all of that. So what about you? Um, well, I did get that post up last week, the, uh, how to know exactly what your audience needs post. So I'm working on a follow-up. Uh, it's called how to meet people where they are. So it was originally going to be the second half of that first post, but the first one got long enough and um, basically talking about communication forms, right? Different people have different learning styles and uh, how you communicate a message is as important as the message, right? The medium is the message. So, man, that's such an important takeaway that I think we just do not focus on often enough. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm working so, on that, and uh, again, I'm I'm posting stuff at Medium at Clay Morgan, PA. Awesome. Uh, well, we will be back next week with another fantastic episode. We will be interviewing. Uh, finally, 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 we're going to be doing our episode on Kingdom with Nancy Yen. And so you don't want to miss that episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Until then, we'd love to hear what you're working on. We'd love to hear what alien stories we should be reading that we've missed. Uh, And uh, you can find all of our stuff at thefascinatingpodcast.com in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Until next week. Uh, maybe it's time to go ahead and finish Kingdom. It's only six episodes. And, or rewatch uh, it. Yourselves out there. Yeah, or rewatch it. Either way, right? So, yeah. Uh, we'll be back. Take care of yourselves until then. Thanks for listening. Live long and prosper.